And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 25. Um, as, as y'all know, we're in um, the, the middle of our upward basketball season right now, and um, we play three games, um, well, actually, we play five games every Saturday, but we've got three halftimes. And during each halftime, um, we have someone that leads a devotional. And Danny led one of those devotionals yesterday, and she polled the audience. And so I'm going to poll you to see um, where you stand in this very important question that she posed. How many of you believe it's okay to set up your Christmas tree before Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. Seriously? Man. Yesterday, I was the only one that raised my hand whenever Danny asked that question. So we'll just keep this between us, all right? Over the past couple of weeks, we have looked at the death of a princess. And then last week, we looked at Isaac being presented with his own princess. Now this morning, we will see the death of our first patriarch of the faith, Abraham. But before his death, Abraham ensures that his legacy continues long after his final breath. The life of Abraham teaches us the importance of having a lasting faith. The importance of us as believers passing on our faith to our children, to our grandchildren, as well as to others. When you take your final breath, what is it? that you want to be remembered for. Back in the 90s, there was a song um, called Thank You. Many of you um, remember that song, or you'll remember it, especially as I walk through these lyrics with you. This is one of those songs that I would just kind of loop, listen to over and over and over, because I loved it so much. But the, the, the lyrics of that song go like this. I dreamed I went to heaven, and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold besides the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing. Then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man, and he was smiling as he came. And he said, friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait. You used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I ask Jesus in my heart, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Then another man stood before you and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church and his picture made you cry? You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. And one by one they came, far as the eye could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. The work you and I do today can change the course of someone's eternity, can't it? Abraham was 75 when God called him and set him apart as his man. And as God's man, he would become the father of a multitude of people and nations. Notice our first point, Abraham, a father again. Now, we got a, a, a few names that are going to be read um, today in our focal passage. Um, 
if I butcher these, like always, I apologize. But let's read together, beginning in verse 1 through verse 4. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Latushim, and Lumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanok, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Following the death of Sarah and the marriage of Isaac, we see Abraham marry again and take and, and have six additional sons. To me, this is amazing. Because back a couple of chapters ago, when Abraham was 100 years old, Scripture tells us that his body was as good as dead. And now, when he's 140 years old, he, he starts a family again. He has six additional sons, and, and he is literally being fruitful and multiplying in his old age. And, and we're told over the course of Abraham's life, he would have eight sons. And some of those boys would grow in to nations. But of all of his children, Isaac was the most special. And Isaac, we are told, inherited everything. In verse 5, we read, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Isaac was the recipient of the promise of God. Remember, the Lord promised Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. All the families of the earth shall be blessed by you. The land of promise would be entrusted to Isaac. The future of God's people would be entrusted to Isaac. The wealth of his father would be entrusted to Isaac. He received everything of significance promised by God as well as accumulated by his father. The rest of the sons were told they didn't get anything really of significance. They got some gifts. We have no idea what those gifts were. Scripture doesn't tell us. All we're told in verse 6 is this. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the hill country, or to the east country. Now, why did he send those children away? Because Abraham wanted to ensure that Isaac um, was set up for success that none of the other siblings would, would interfere what God was going to do through Isaac. And so he sends them away, most likely far outside the borders of the promised land. Next, we come to Abraham's condition at death. Notice verses 7 through 11. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zorah, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife, and after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at um, Beerlahiroi. So at the age of 175, Abraham breathed his last. This man of God would spend a hundred years establishing a foundation of faith, not only for Isaac, but for future generations 
as well. I love how David Thompson kind of kind of shares a few um, application points about um, Abraham. What we just read basically is Abraham's obituary. Notice first, we're told that Abraham died a good man. We're told he died in a good old age. Some of your translations may say ripe old age. Ripe and good implied that when he died, he was kind and happy and good. Have you ever known an older person who is cranky and mean and stubborn and mean-spirited? Have you ever known someone like that? Yeah, probably most of it. Now, don't look at your spouse. Some of you did that. We'll have a marriage counseling after we're done here. Um, But we've all known people like that, right? Let's not be like that. A person of faith resembles the fruits of the Spirit at a young age in the faith as well as at an old age of the faith. And that's who Abraham was. Man, he died a good man. May we, when it's said of us after we've died, may it be said that we died a good man or a good woman as well. We're also told that he died an old man. Abraham did not just die an old man, but this verse implies that he outlived every other man of his day. You and I have no, you and I have no idea how many days we have. Man, this may be our final day. We may have another 20, 30, 40, 50 years. We don't know. I love what James says about about the number of days that we have. He says in James 4, 13 through 17, James wrote, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. You and I need to make this moment count, don't we? Because we're not guaranteed another moment. And I pray that you and I will be given many more moments. But as Scripture indicates, and as we know in this fallen world that we live in, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Next, we see that, that Abraham's death was rewarding. We, we read that he was gathered to his people. Who were his people? His people were those that died faithful men and women. Those that believed by faith and are in heaven. Abraham was gathered to his people. You and I too, when we die, we will be gathered with those that preceded us in death who were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I pray that when we die and take our final breath, I pray, I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I'm sure that it's not going to be exactly like that thank you song, but I bet you every person that we impacted in eter- here that are now in eternity, we will know of the impact we had upon their life because they're there in heaven. Let's impact this world for Jesus. Next, we see that he was buried in the land of promise. In verse 9, we read, Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zor, the Hittite, east of Mamre. A couple of chapters ago, Abraham bought that land, he bought that cave, and there he laid his precious wife, Sarah, to rest. And now we see that, that 
Isaac and Ishmael are going to lay Abraham to rest inside that very cave where their mom was laid to rest. Here's what I love about verse 9. We are told here that Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him. That death brought that family together. Isaac and Ishmael, who were separated when Isaac was young, are now reunited. Death has a way of bringing family members together, doesn't it? You know, I'm not a big royal family guy, but following the death of Queen Elizabeth a couple of um, or a month or so ago, the royal family was everywhere on TV. Every website that you went to that had some kind of a news article featured the royal family. One of the things the media was enamored with was Prince Harry and how he would be received by his father and by his, um, by, by his brother as well as the rest of the royal family and, for that matter, the nation of England as a whole. A few years ago, you remember Prince Harry, Harry walked away from his family and he would lose many of his royal privileges. Well, like the death of Abraham brought Isaac and Ishmael together, so did the death of the queen. It brought Prince Harry home. Again, has the death of a loved one ever brought some of your wayward family members home? Man, I pray that if it has, you and I treat that wayward family member just like the father treated his wayward son whenever he came up, um, uh, up that, that, that pathway. You remember what the, the father did? The father ran to his son and embraced his son and threw a giant party for him. You and I can impact people's lives, even at a funeral, even after the death of a loved one. Next, we see that Isaac was, a blessed, was blessed by God. In verse 11, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Beer Lahori. And this was a place... This was the place where the Lord appeared to Hagar um, following her getting pregnant with Ishmael. Um, her and Sarah basically had a falling out, and Hagar fled from the presence of, of, of Abraham and Sarah. And whenever she fled, she came to this place right here. And there, the Lord appeared to her. That may have been the reason... We're not told why Isaac chose that place, but it could be the reason he chose there because he knew that the Lord had appeared there and he wanted to be as close to the Lord and as close to his presence as he possibly could be. Who do you think taught him that? His father, right? Abraham raised his son to want to pursue after the Lord. Is that how you raised your children? Is that how you are praying your children raise their children? Is that how you are seeking to influence your grandchildren when they are with you? Man, I hope so. Man, I hope we're investing in our children and um, grandchildren and future generations the goodness of the Lord by praying for them and sharing with them and loving on them and encouraging them. Next, we come to the genealogy of Ishmael. In verses 12 through 18, we read, These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian 
Sarah's servant bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, the named in the order of their birth. Neboioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Advil, Mitzam, Mishma, Duma, Mesa, Hadad, Tima, Jatur, Nephish, and Kadima. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names. By the villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. Ishmael may not have been the child of promise, but he was a child with whom a promise was given. God blessed him with 12 sons. He would live to be 137 years of age, and then he breathed his last. Next, we read of the faith of Isaac. In verses 19 through 21, we read, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Armean. To be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. You know, as we study Isaac, we know that he was a very significant patriarch in human history. When you read through the scriptures, you read of the fathers of the faith being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, we know he was a solid man of faith. What we know about Jacob is that Jacob would be, um, have, have some, some, some flaws. Let's just say that. He, he didn't always get it right, did he? But in the end, we know he did. And when we come to Isaac, who is sandwiched between those two patriarchs, we know that Isaac started out strong. Like his mother, his wife was barren and unable to have children. Like his father, Isaac prayed to the Lord for the womb of his wife to be open. We don't know how often he prayed or when he began praying, but we do know that after he and Rebekah had been married for 20 years, the Lord finally opened up the womb of Rebekah and she conceived. You know, I have a feeling that Isaac did not begin praying after 20 years. I bet you Isaac began praying the moment he found out that his wife was unable to have children. You know, persistence sometimes is necessary when praying, isn't it? We often feel that when God does not answer our prayer in our time, then that means that God has said no and that God has closed the door and that means we need to move on. Have you ever thought that it may just be that we have not prayed long enough for God to answer our prayer? If it took 20 years for Isaac's prayer to be answered, and it took 25 years for Abraham's prayer to be answered, answered, why do we often think that God needs to answer our prayer immediately in our time? We know that we live in a world where, where we have access to instantaneously everything that you can imagine, from food to news to, to, I mean, we can buy cars now online, we can buy our groceries online, everything we can get in an instant, right? We think that God needs to work in that same way in the 21st century, don't we? You know what, folks? Maybe God is just trying to teach us patience. Maybe he's trying to teach us to be persistent 
in our prayers. Isaac, he would start out strong in the faith. But as we studied this patriarch over the coming weeks, we will realize that he does not finish strong. Next, we come to the birth of Jacob and Esau. In verse 22, we read, The children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. What this tells us is that Rebecca had a tough pregnancy. You know, I, I, I'm going to be the first person to say I know nothing about being pregnant, okay? I know nothing about what that feels like, thank the Lord. But I did go to my wife, a, a good source when it comes to pregnancy. And I said, I asked her, I said, and I knew a little bit of this, but I, I, I said, tell me how you felt with each of your pregnancies. Okay? And first she said of Connor, she goes, I had no issues. I had no morning sickness. And, and with Connor, um, we found out a day before he was born, he was born about two weeks early, that um, we went for a routine checkup and the doctor told us that, that Connor was breached and that Danny's am- amniotic fluid was, was, was low. And so he scheduled a C-section for that next day. So the next day we get to the the doctor's office and the the nurse hooks Danny up with all of these different machines and and turns to her and she goes, did you realize that you're in labor right now? And Danny's like, no. So she's having contractions and she doesn't even know it. Okay, that was Connor. Okay, fast forward to Caitlin. Okay, Danny says of Caitlin that she was sick for the first 16 weeks. Two to three weeks before Caitlin was born, Danny began to experience severe pain, and she masked that pain by taking some medicine. Five weeks before Caitlin was born, um, we're, we're having Sunday night church, and Danny comes up to me, and she's like, I got to go home. I don't feel good. And I say, okay, I'll be home and just, you know, as soon as church is over. A couple hours later, I get home, and Danny is bawling. She, she is crying, and I'm like, what is wrong? And she's just, I, I don't feel good. So we call the doctor. The doctor says, get to the ER immediately. We get to the hospital. Um, they, they, they get her pain under control. And, and I remember one of those nurses in the room turning to me and saying, you know, this could have easily ended up being a bad episode of ER. That was Caitlin, okay? And Caitlin has been a pain in Danny's side. Every, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I will share that in the next service because Caitlin will be there. Um, Rebecca experienced a pretty tumultuous pregnancy. Jacob and Esau were at war within her. And what we know is that they would be at war with each other after they were born. So we're, we're told here that two nations struggle within Rebecca. In verses 23 through 27, we read, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. So the Lord tells Rebecca some important details about her pregnancy. First, the Lord basically says, congratulations, you're having twins. 
um, you know, in a world when there were no sonograms, I guess that was pretty, pretty special news for her. Um, and then the Lord would tell her some disturbing things. First of all, two nations would come from your two sons. And then the Lord would say, the younger will serve the older, which would be completely out of the norm. But that's what the Lord told Rebecca. When these two are born into the world, their names, um, they're given names which are attributed to their entrance into the world. Esau refers to the hairiness of his body and the color of his skin. Jacob refers to what he was doing as he entered into this world. He was grabbing the heel of Esau. And I read that the idea of a heel catcher meant something in that day. It had the idea of a trickster or a con man or a scoundrel or a rascal. This name was not given as a compliment, was it? And we know that Jacob will live up to his name, won't he? Next, we are told that the parents actually play favorites. In verse 28, we read, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. When your kids were growing up, did you ever turn to one of your kids and, 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 and they are arguing about something like, you know, why did um, she get to do that? Or why did he get to do that? And you said, because they're my favorite. Did you ever do that? Raise your hand if you want to admit to that. All right. Some of you are better parents than me. Okay. I did that all the time, but I also switched it back and forth all the time as well. So it depended on which kid was, was nicer to me that day as who would be um, the, the most special that day. We are told that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. Here's the thing about this. Clearly, God played favorites as well, didn't he? Jacob would be the child of promise who would carry on the promise that began with Abraham and then was passed to Isaac and then was passed on to Jacob. In closing this morning, we read of a pretty tragic day in the life of Esau, his surrendered birthright. In verses 29 through 34, we read, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What do you see in these brothers? Really, when it comes to their emotions, you see one who is in control of his emotions, and the other is out of control. Esau comes in from hunting. He is tired. He is hungry. He is cranky. He's hangry, isn't he? Have you ever been so exhausted that you have said something you did not mean? Maybe because of your exhaustion, you did something that you later regretted. But in that moment, you allowed your flesh to reign supreme. Esau, in one moment of weakness, would forfeit his birthright. Folks, you and I need to condition ourselves to be self-controlled instead of out of control. Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
He wrote, do, not, do, you, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Man, may you and I not live as Esau, but may we live as one who is under control. May each of us live our lives faithfully surrendered over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And may we live our lives as did Abraham, committed to passing on to our children the good news of salvation and to their children the good news of salvation, to those we do life with the good news of salvation. And may we be like our heroes of the faith and pray consistently, pray with persistence, pray believing that God is going to answer our prayer. It may mean that we got to pray more than one day or one week or one month or maybe even longer than one year. But let's be persistent in our prayers. You may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with the Lord. If you were to die today, you don't know where you would spend eternity. I want to invite you this morning to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to Place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Bible says if you do that, then you shall be saved. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you this morning to come. Let's stand together. I'm going to be standing here at the front, and I'd love to share with you how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, just thanking you again for the opportunity to gather in your house. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to study the patriarchs of the faith. Father, I know sometimes even as I'm preparing and walking through these messages, I'm asking myself, you know, what is it that you would have us to get from this? Why is it, Lord, that this story is even in the Bible? Because, and then you make it clear to me because there's so much richness in it. There's so many points of application to it. We can learn from those that have preceded us in death. We can learn from their victories, and we can learn from their mistakes. So help us, Father, even as we continue to study Genesis, to learn from the actions of others. And Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be faithful men and women, committed to living for you, serving you and committed to advancing the good news of salvation. I pray this morning if there's someone here that does not have a relationship with you, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come.